American Catholic History is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. Hello, and welcome to American Catholic History. If you like our podcast, help others find it by sharing this episode and giving us a five-star rating wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Noel Heaster Crow. And I'm Tom Crow. Today, we're talking about the Duke, John Wayne, a man synonymous with true masculinity and toughness, but not really for being Catholic. Uh, No, his story is interesting for the combination of frankness, self-will, and recognition of his own weakness, really. He was born and raised Presbyterian, but he was around Catholicism for most of his life. And when asked about his faith, sometimes he would call himself a cardiac Catholic. That is, he intended to become Catholic just before he died. Hmm. The Constantine option. Yeah, really. So his deathbed conversion wasn't really a surprise, but holding off until the last second and hoping you have an opportunity before the curtain falls is not advisable. You may not get that opportunity. Fortunately for Wayne, he did. Right. But there was a lot of life before that bittersweet day. So let's go back to 1907 when he was born in Iowa to Presbyterian parents. His name at birth was Marion Robert Morrison, Though some sources give other middle names like Michael and Mitchell. Regardless, the first name Marion is not as manly as John Wayne and certainly not the Duke. No, that nickname actually came from his childhood dog. His family had a large Airedale Terrier named Duke. And since young Marion was always seen with the dog, some started calling him Duke. He liked that better than Marion, so the nickname stuck. Yeah, fortunately for him. When he was young, his family moved to Southern California. He played football at his high school, and then eventually he earned a scholarship for football at the University of Southern California. But he broke his collarbone in a body-serving accident and lost his scholarship, so he had to leave USC. His USC football coach helped him to get his acting career started. The coach, Howard Jones, was friends with the great Hollywood director, John Ford, and Jones got Ford to give Marion Morrison a job as a prop boy, though he was actually billed as Duke Morrison. That led to small parts in movies, and then in 1930, his first leading role in The Big Trail. The question was what name to give him in the credits. Marion Morrison was out of the question, so the director of the film, Raoul Walsh, and the head of the studio, Winfield Sheehan, talked it over and settled on John Wayne. Wayne wasn't even present for this debate, but he went with it. The first film was a flop, and it took nearly 10 years before he emerged from the B-list with his first smash hit, Stagecoach, in 1939. His career took off, and he'd go to star in, direct, and produce more than 170 movies over the next 50 years. But his only Oscar win was for his role as Marshall Rubin, a.k.a. Rooster Cogburn, in True Grit in 1969. In his public life, he was politically conservative, actively opposed to communism, and supported Republican politicians. But it's his private life that we're more interested in here. Every red-blooded American knows John Wayne. He still regularly comes up in polls about favorite actors of all time. His films are generally family-friendly because he cultivated a family-friendly persona in his selection of scripts. Yes, he actually turned down the role of the Waco kid in Mel Brooks's Blazing Saddles. That role was played very well by Gene Wilder, and I really can't imagine Wayne playing the part. Blazing Saddles is 
uproariously funny, incredibly impolitic, and I cannot in good conscience recommend that anyone ever see it. Yeah, it's not really a family-friendly film. No. But in turning it down, Wayne did admit to Brooks that he had every intention of watching the film. He thought the script was hilarious. But anyhow, back to good family discussion. Well, sort of good family discussion. His own family situation was a bit of a mixed bag. (laughs) Yeah. He married for the first time in 1933. His first wife, Josephine Sainz, was a devout Catholic from Panama, and they were married in a Catholic ceremony. This required him to agree to raise any children Catholic, and he agreed to this. He and Josephine had four children, and Wayne was true to his word. The children were raised Catholic. They went to Mass and to Catholic school, and he never objected to involvement in any of the many Catholic events, causes, and practices that Josephine brought into his life. Josephine was a daily communicant and was very involved in the life of her parish and the schools where their children went. Unfortunately, John and Josephine divorced in 1945, likely because of infidelity on John's part. Josephine would not remarry while John was still alive because she recognized that he was still her husband. She continued to love him and pray for his conversion the rest of his life. Yeah, the prayer of St. Monica of a sort. And ultimately, it seemed to have worked. Yeah, exactly. Eventually. His second wife was Mexican actress Esperanza Bauer. Their marriage lasted eight years and yielded no children. This marriage ended in ugly fashion, with Esperanza suspecting John of carrying on at least one affair. And one night, when he came home late after a cast and crew party, in a rage, she actually shot at him as he came in the door. She missed, and he got away, but the marriage was over. Yeah, that would pretty much be the end of a marriage. Yeah, pretty much. His third marriage to Pilar Paulette produced three children, and this was his longest marriage, lasting from 1954 through his death in 1979. Though this marriage wasn't any more a picture of healthy Christian marriage than the others. Due to his infidelities, they lived separated for a number of years in the 1970s. The puzzling thing about his second and third marriages was that they were also two Catholics and in Catholic ceremonies. How that could happen is a mystery since his first wife, Josephine, was still around and she certainly seemed to think that her marriage to John was valid. Also, the serial infidelity might suggest an impediment to entering into vows. Right. So Who knows? we don't know about that part of it and we leave it to God's mercy and the church's wisdom in administering the sacraments. But from the testimony of his kids and grandkids, he did recognize that his behavior in this score was wrong and he did have a very strong sense of duty to do the right thing. He just had a very significant weakness. A pretty glaring weakness. Yeah. But that sense of knowing right and wrong and striving to do the right thing permeates his movies. Like we said, he was intent on doing movies that families could watch. His movies had a struggle between good and evil. Flawed characters struggled to do what was right and reject what was bad. He insisted on this and didn't like that other filmmakers were drifting away from that. As the 1960s progressed, he lamented in very strong terms the direction films were headed. When he was asked about the new rating system that films were going to start using in the late 1960s, in his feedback he lamented that such a thing should even be needed. In his opinion, filmmakers should only make films that parents would have no concerns about letting their kids see. If a rating system were needed, that meant that filmmakers were giving up good filmmaking for just making money. His sense on this was undoubtedly influenced by his good friend and mentor in filmmaking, the director, John Ford. Wayne and Ford worked together on a number of films, including Stagecoach, The Quiet Man, She Wore a Yellow Ribbon, 
The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, The Wings of Eagles, and other classics. Ford was a strong Catholic whose faith had a significant impact on his films. We'll probably do an episode on him in the future. And how John Ford died had an impact on Wayne. Ford died in 1973 of a painful cancer, and Wayne saw how Ford's Catholic faith gave him strength to suffer well and die peacefully. One soliloquy that Wayne gave himself really helps to distill this. In his first film as director, Alamo, Wayne played Davy Crockett. One night, while the characters are sitting around the fire debating whether God exists and were considering death, Wayne, as Crockett, said of his own acceptance of God's personal involvement in our lives, It was like I was empty. Well, I'm not empty anymore. That's what's, That's important. what's important. To feel useful in this old world. To hit a lick against what's wrong. Or to say a word for what's right, even though you get walloped for saying that word. I may sound like a Bible beater yelling up a revival at a river crossing camp meeting, but that don't change the truth none. There's right and there's wrong. You got to do one or the other. You do the one and you're living. You do the other and you may be walking around, but you're, but you're dead, dead as, as a, as a beaver, beaver hat. And his children and grandchildren more or less agree that while he was not a perfect man, he was a caring father and grandfather who was respectful of the Catholic faith of his wives and children. All of his seven children were raised Catholic, as were his 21 grandchildren, and he saw to it. One of his grandsons, in fact, is a priest in Orange, California. Father Matthew Munez was 14 when Wayne died in 1979, and he remembers playing with granddaddy. I could just see the big, tough John Wayne melting when his grandkids come tearing into the room, squealing, Granddaddy! True masculinity. Surely, yeah. Actually, there's a funny anecdote from later in Wayne's life that just goes to show the tough guy place he still held in the public mind. In 1972, during the NFL draft, the Atlanta Falcons were preparing to make their final pick. Head coach Norm Van Brocklin yelled out to his staff, Do we want the roughest, toughest SOB in the draft? And his staff shouted back, Yeah! So Van Brocklin got on the phone to NFL headquarters and said, Atlanta picks John Wayne of Fort Apache State. Fort Apache was a film Wayne had starred in in 1948 with Henry Fonda and Shirley Temple. For a time, this pick was on the board as the Falcons' official pick until NFL officials realized that the Falcons really did mean that John Wayne. So Pete Rozelle, who was NFL commissioner, vetoed the pick, and the Falcons instead picked a running back named Bill Holland. Holland, like Wayne, played football at USC and also like Wayne, Holland never actually played a down in the NFL. So yeah, John Wayne's reputation as the paragon of toughness was still very much intact when he was 64 years old. It just makes the tender granddaddy side of him, the same side which noticed the effect of Catholic faith on his family members, that much more interesting. And it wasn't just his wife and kids who were good examples of living a Catholic life. Wayne also had friends in the Catholic hierarchy. Timothy Cardinal Manning, Archbishop of Los Angeles, was a friend, as was the Archbishop of Panama City, Panama, Tomas Clavel. Remember, Wayne's first wife, Josephine, was Panamanian. Wayne spent a decent amount of time in that country while they were together. And when Bishop Clavel was exiled from Panama in 1968 due to a change in political regime, Cardinal Manning invited Archbishop Clavel to come live in Los Angeles. Manning offered him the unofficial title of Vicar to Hispanic Catholics, since that population had grown so massive in the archdiocese. Wayne's health took a turn for the worse in the mid-1970s. He had overcome lung cancer in the 60s, 
but this time it was stomach cancer. He went to treatment, but it was clear that his days were numbered. As he was coming to grips with his coming death, he finally accepted that he should come into the Catholic Church, which he had seen give so much aid and comfort to his friends and family. So he called his old friend Archbishop Tomas Clavel, but at the time, Archbishop Clavel was himself too ill to go to Duke's bedside. According to some sources, Clavel instead got his friend and successor in Panama, Archbishop Marcos McGrath, to go to Wayne, and Archbishop McGrath received him into the Catholic Church. But according to an AP article from three days after his death, he was received by a Paulist priest who was chaplain at the UCLA Medical Center where he died. Either way, his sons and his grandson, Father Munez, say with certainty that the deathbed conversion happened and that he received the last rites and all necessary sacramental considerations. Within 48 hours of his conversion, he was gone, dying on June 11, 1979. Before dying, John Wayne expressed regret that he had taken so long to come into the church, blaming a busy life. One month after his death, he was awarded the Congressional Gold Medal, and then a year later, President Jimmy Carter awarded him the Presidential Medal of Freedom posthumously, the two highest awards an American civilian can receive. On his tombstone, Wayne had inscribed the Spanish phrase, Feo, Fuerta y Fermal, which translates to ugly, strong, and dignified. And in 1999, another quote was added, Tomorrow is the most important thing in life. Comes into us at midnight very clean. It's perfect when it arrives and it puts itself in our hands. It hopes we've learned something from yesterday. If his deathbed conversion is any indication, it seems that the Duke took that lesson to heart. You've been listening to American Catholic History on the StarQuest Production Network. If you've been enjoying our podcast, Please help others find it by sharing this episode and by giving us a five-star rating and a good review. We also ask you to support the many productions of SQPN at sqpn.com give. To learn more about John Wayne, to find previous episodes, or to learn about our upcoming pilgrimages to important and unforgettable Catholic holy sites, please visit AmericanCatholicHistory.org. We also love feedback and hearing about great Catholic history sites and stories from all over. You can email us at history at sqpn.com or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash American Catholic History, on Instagram at ACH underscore podcast, or follow StarQuest on Twitter at SQPN. I'm Noelle Heaster Crow. And I'm Tom Crow. Thank you once again for joining us on American Catholic History on StarQuest. too long since we did a recording i know we're rusty sorry dom that's why she squeaked she's rusty no rusty